Sherwood Oaks, how you doing? <laughs> it's okay. We'll try it again in the next few weeks. Hey, isn't Christmas time such an amazing, peaceful, laid back, no pain, no stress environment time? Isn't it wonderful for children? Isn't it great? Matter of fact, when I think of Christmas, I think of, um, let's, let's say three-ish decades ago was, was my Christmas sweet spot. Um, the mufflers, uh, mom, dad, Kathy, and myself, we kind of had traditions. Uh, we had the blessing of living in St. Louis with pretty much all of our extended family around us. So we had the opportunity to see a lot of people in one day. So my sister and I would wake up ridiculously early, run into my parents' room, gently, respectfully, try to wake them up. They would tell us to go to bed. We would go back to our room, wait 15 minutes, and try again until they got so annoyed with us, we could finally go downstairs. Now, the tradition in the muffler house uh, might be different than yours, and that's okay. Uh, we would go downstairs. We would check out the presents. No touchy, though. Um, what we did is we made breakfast burritos for Christmas. No? No breakfast burritos for Christmas morning? Oh, man. Huevos vancheros. It's good stuff. Anyway, um, but we would have this huge breakfast. We would spend time, just mom, dad, Kathy, and myself, and then we would open gifts. It was this wonderful, peaceful, laid back until we had to take a shower, get dressed, and go to grandma's house for lunch. And so we would run to my mom's house, or my mom's, mom's, grandma Spitznagel house, um, and we would do kind of the same thing. We'd have this big, gigantic lunch, and we would spend time with cousins and aunts, and we would open presents, and it was wonderful. And then we would run to Grandma Muffler's house for dinner, and it was kind of the same situation. We would have this big, gigantic feast. We'd have tons of family having so much fun, and, and there'd be gifts. So as a kid, say when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, it really was quite perfect. It was uh, family, food, gifts, repeat. Family, food, gifts, repeat. Family, food, gifts. Listen, I... I I probably had a very special childhood. There was not a lot of tension about this time. But man, I tell you what, I loved Christmas, mainly, mainly for the food. I'm just going to say it. When you know you're going to feast three times in a day, you can say no to vegetables and yes to ham. You can say no to carrots and fruit and that weird jiggly jello with the pineapple in it that I don't know why it's there, but you can say no thanks because you can fill up on really good stuff like cookies and candy and more ham. It was fantastic. As a kid, there was really no stress. There was really no obligation to be anywhere or do anything besides if I was told to get in the car, to get in the car. It was fantastic. And then I became an adult. <laughs> Christmas looks very different when you're an adult. I'm grateful that I have a little family, Stacy, myself, and a, and a few kids running around. It's fantastic. But now, there's a lot more moving pieces. I am blessed to have family in Missouri, St. Louis and Springfield, South Carolina. We're in different time zones. But in all honesty, it's difficult because I would love to spend Christmas with everyone. But I can't. It's physically not impossible to be on the East Coast and in the middle at the same time. So we have to choose whom to say yes to and say no to. It's difficult. Now, you may say, John, an eight-hour car ride with little kids is wonderful. It's fantastic. And I would say, no, I even like my kids' eight-hour car ride. It's difficult. And these are just small, tiny little problems that sometimes try to steal my joy. If you're anything like me, Christmas, the one time of the year when we should be just overflowing with this attitude of joy, is probably the one time where I look and go, 
Oh, really? Let's, let's go through just a few things. Um, if, if, if traveling with kids maybe is not your thing, being in different places, maybe there's a lot more stress. Matter of fact, Christmas is not, necess- not necessarily a joyous time for a lot of people. Christmas is often difficult. Um, it is in these times that we remember that our loved ones are no longer there. When we gather the family together, if we have some meal, if we have some opportunity to be with people, our heart aches every day for the family members we no longer have through divorce, through stressful relationships that are no longer around, or, or, or through death. We break every day, but Christmas, I feel like it hurts just a little bit more. It's a reminder that, that mom's no longer with us. It's a reminder uh, that our spouse is no longer with us. It's painful. Relationship stress between family. Guys, I kid you not, you want to heighten stress to a point of off the charts. Get together and talk politics this Christmas. Okay? Half of your family uh, will throw ham at the other half, and my half will be thank you. It'd be great. Listen, there's stressful relationships, and I'm not even talking politics. I'm just talking life in general. Sometimes we just have a hard time bouncing off of people that we're supposed to love because they're family. Matter of fact, it's a time to be reminded, not in a positive way, maybe we don't have people to interact with, to love, to find that safe spot with. Loneliness is a is a joy killer this time of year. Matter of fact, um, the suicide rate in America skyrockets the end of December. When we think a time of abundant joy, we think Christmas, but in all reality, it's difficult. It's painful. It's just stressful and hard. As an adult, it's difficult. Um, now, we are in our third week of our series of Advent. Uh, John, a few weeks ago, started us out with hope, the hope we can only find in Jesus Christ. Last week was peace, peace that only God can offer in such a crazy time in a broken world. But today, we're going to be talking just for a few minutes about joy, the word joy. Now, let's think about it. Uh, Webster defines joy as a source or cause of pleasure or delight, something or someone greatly valued or appreciated, a state of happiness. Take a second, and I want you to think, What brings you joy? What brings you delight? What brings you bliss? Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's security. Maybe it's knowing that one day your 401k might actually kick in and be there and you can get out of that job and that might bring you bliss. I'm not sure what it is. But what brings us bliss? Now this is a worldly definition of a word that we can look at all through scripture. Let's try to Let's kind of paint a picture as someone as a follower of Christ. I'm making the assumption, and you know what happens when you make assumptions, assumptions. You're here for one of two reasons. You are either here because you are trying to figure out and follow this God that loves you so desperately in the name of Jesus, or you're here asking questions. Who is Jesus? Why should I change my life because of this? But joy is all through Scripture. As a Christian perspective or a faith perspective, I think uh, joy can be summed up in this sentence. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our savior. You and I can stand firm in this idea of joy, bliss, and happiness because of Jesus Christ did something that we could not do for ourselves. He bridged the gap between sin and death and a right relationship with God. We can find joy in Jesus, true spiritual joy in Jesus Christ. Now, that attitude of joy should be an urgency for this Christmas season because people are watching us. 
People know that maybe we attend church sometimes. Maybe people know at work, hey, we love Jesus and we're trying our best. Man, I tell you what, there are some threats to our joy. We're going to look real quick at a few passages of Scripture about joy. What does it bring? Maybe some joy, things that threaten our joy, even some things that even protect our joy. Now, joy gives us a few things. First of all, perspective. Um, I need to apologize. I'm male. I struggle. I sometimes walk into a situation and immediately say, that's it. That's, that's, that's the problem. Let's fix it. Now, I'm from Missouri. We're the show-me state. I don't know why it's arrogance. We just don't believe people. But in all honesty, that's what I was raised with, the idea of like, I've got a perspective. I've got my thoughts. And until you convince me totally otherwise, I'm going to stand right here. Being married is humbling. Um, every once in a while, my wife will tap me on the shoulder and say, you, you really feel that way? You really think that way? And of course, the male in me is like, yeah, uh-huh, sure, let's do it. And she'll ask, or even somebody at church will uh, tap me on the shoulder and say, well, well, how about you take a step back and maybe stand in their shoes and try to appreciate their story from their point of view instead of just your perspective? Perspective is difficult because we think we've got the right one most times until we are kind of moved around. Now, 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10 says this, and this is difficult to hear, but it's beautiful to live. Rather, uh, Paul says this, rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, and the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, and truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor. Bad report, good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknowing, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing in the poor, yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. How in the world can he say this? How in the world can he say that we have nothing, yet we have everything? Joy gives us a different perspective on our happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. If things are going well for me, I got a smile on my face. If things are pushing against me or working against me or my family or even my church, I start thinking, you got to be kidding me. But a joy rooted in the faith of Jesus Christ, Paul says here, it doesn't really matter what's happening around me. I have Jesus Christ. Jesus is my redeemer. That's a different kind of perspective. That's a different, difficult perspective for Christians to have and to live through this world. Uh, another one is humility. Romans 4, and I love this verse. Romans 4, 7 says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We come here on a Sunday morning. We come here uh, to worship Jesus Christ. This isn't a club. We don't get a ton out of this. We are here to worship and react to what God has done in our lives. We say, thank you, Jesus. We exalt Jesus Christ because what he has done. You and I are in the same boat. We are broken, damaged human beings. In here, he has saved us. He has loved us. Out there, his intentions are to love and to save and bring back into the family. So this spirit of humility is, I have Jesus. He has bridged that gap for me. And as we walk humbly, we say that is also offered to everyone else. The co-worker that you can't stand. The brother-in-law that you can't st- Well, whatever, the, him too. Um, the family member that's difficult. The neighbor that's, that's difficult. 
we have been called to humility to say we have this relationship with Jesus, but it's not just ours. It's for everyone, and we should walk humbly toward that. Now, there are some enemies of joy, and we brought up a few of those, uh, but this Christmas season, I want us to be careful. Let's, let's throw a couple out there, and let's, let's look at Jonah, because, wow, this is fantastic. Um, now, the first one, first enemy of joy I want to talk about is when we focus on ourselves and our circumstances, when our lives stop becoming, I'm worshiping and chasing after God, who loves me dearly, and start worrying about, am I happy? Am I content? Am I secure? There are things in life when it doesn't go our way, we push back and say, no, 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 I, I, no, that's, that's, that's not for me. I, I, I need something else. I deserve something else. When we start getting into the rhythm of life and saying, I'm first and everyone else is second, our joy shrivels. The, basically, the fruit of joy kind of disappears. The second one is negative close friends. And I'm not calling us out. I'm just saying, let's be very careful who we surround ourselves with. Because one negative lifestyle person, one person in our lives that is consistently critical, frustrated, angry, the church needs to do this, you need to do this, why wasn't there green bean casserole, all and on and on and on, kind of rubs off on us and we start getting that idea of like, oh man, I should, this overcritical thing is fantastic. If I don't like it, I need to tell you that you're wrong. That's a joy threatener, enemy of joy. And another one is overwhelmed with sin and guilt. If we're all in the same boat, we're all broken people in need of Jesus Christ, I can say this confidently. We have issues. And if we bottle those issues up, if we hold on to that guilt and frustration, it is going to blow up and destroy other people. It is going to wilt our joy to the point of destruction. Let me give you a great example. Jonah uh, we're going to go to uh, chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, just real quick. Um, but let me give you the, the quick story of Jonah. I love Jonah. He's a, he's a prophet of God, which means he's in the God business. He believes to the point where his life is completely different, and he is called to do something by God that is, more, I'm just going to call miraculous. God taps Jonah on his shoulder and says, hey, I need you to do something ridiculous. Hey, do you know Nineveh? About, about 100,000 of those people that are enemies of mine can't stand the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, yeah, I want you to go there. I want you to talk to them. I want you to try to convince them that I still love them and I want them back. And Jonah goes, no, pass, I'm out. I know those people. Those are evil people. They've damaged me. They have damaged my family. They have damaged the family of God. I cannot stand those people. So Jonah, even though he is a prophet, says, pass. He turns the other direction. Maybe you've heard this story before. God literally picks him up, turns him around, and spits him out on a beach. Says, you're still going to do it. So Jonah says, fine. He walks into Nineveh, and he does the impossible through God's help. He teaches, he preaches, he lives there and says, God is the God of the universe. And he wants you back, and he wants you to be a part of his family. Well, the reaction was Miraculous. They could have thrown him in jail. They could have stoned him. They could have pushed him off a cliff. They could have imprisoned him. They didn't. They kind of took a step back and said, oh, you're right. You've got to be kidding me. There is a God. This creator God loves us and he wants us back in the family. And they change. You would think this would bring great joy to Jonah. You would think Jonah would be like, sweet, this is fantastic. God is on the move. We find Jonah sitting on the side of a hill, staring at Nineveh, angry. This is what he says 
to God in Jonah 4.2. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? Lord, that is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Jonah just witnessed tens if not 100,000 people turning to God and because of his own self-centered frustration, hate, built up guilt, anger, frustration, whatever it is, to those people, he says, you know what? No, this is wrong. How dare you save these people? They have hurt me. They have damaged me. His joy was non-existent. He wasn't living for God. He was just in the God business. It goes on to say, uh, later, we basically, the, the end of Jonah is, is crazy. It, it's definitely not a Disney fairy tale. There was not hand-holding and singing with birds and everybody's falling in love and getting married. Basically, the end of Jonah, we see him sitting on the side of that hill saying, I would rather be dead than deal with what is happening. A little dramatic. I can relate sometimes. But in all honesty, that's a sign of a non-existent joy. Because all of these things have happened to him. He's focused on himself, negative uh, relationships, overwhelmed with sin and guilt. Basically a lifestyle of critical attitude towards others. Now on the positive note, here's some protectors of joy. Here's some things that we can cooperate with God. We can hold hand in hand with our Savior and move into this Christmas season to show joy from our hearts of worship and to our basically neighbors and loved ones. A number one thing we need is a strong trust that God is in control. This is not easy. It's painful sometimes. But I want you to listen to these words in Acts 16, 22 through 25. We see Paul and Silas on their second missionary journey, and it's not going well. Let's read. The crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods. Sounds good? Sounds good? Are we there yet? Merry Christmas? All right, we're going to keep going. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard uh, them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet to the stocks. Now, let's stop there just for a second. I know you can read it, but we're going to hold on. Guys, that's probably not a great day, right? Stripped, publicly flogged, beaten with sticks, and then thrown in jail. Anybody else saying like, yay? That's no horrible. You got to be kidding me. Tears, frustration, anger. Maybe some of our, I'm, I'm going to call it maybe just maybe I'd be very irritated with God. You've called me to do this crazy thing to, sh- uh, to spread all this great news about Jesus Christ. And these people are trying to kill me for it. God, why is this your plan? What is happening? You would think that would maybe a response, but let's look at their response. It's nuts. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Can you imagine that? Why? Why would that be their natural reaction to praise God, even when their circumstances could not be worse? When we are connected fully with Jesus Christ, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying I struggle and fail every day. But in all honesty, when our joy is rooted in Jesus is our redeemer instead of things are happening nice around me, we have this overflow of worship. We have this overflow of connecting this closeness with Jesus Christ, with God. Now, the second one we can do uh, for protectors of joy is refresh yourself with the wonder of Jesus' birth. Now, I've been a part of uh, the church family, the faith family now for a while, 
um, about two decades, and I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm excited to be a Christian trying to follow after Jesus Christ. And only in two decades, I've heard about Jesus' birth a lot. It's a cool story. There's a manger, there's Mary, there's Joseph, there's a couple wise men. Um, you know, fun things like that. But in all honesty, do we, do we look at the Christmas story and go, oh yeah, yeah, okay, well, every year, every 12 months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's the wonder? Where's the mystery? Let's read this, Luke 2, 10 through 11. It might be difficult for us to try to put our feet in their shoes because probably not a lot of us have sheep at home. But again, it's Bloomington, so why not? Um, Luke 2, 10 through 11 says, but the angel said to them, said to these shepherds, do not be afraid, I bring you News that will cause great joy to all people, all time, all history, all nations, everyone. Today in the town of David, a Savior has born, been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Let's refresh ourselves with the awe factor in Jesus. Virgin birth. Predicted for years, decades, millennia, thousands of years. God's plan was, I love you so much, this is going to happen. And it did. Let's be in bewilderment, this wonderment, this, this idea of awe that Jesus came for us to love us. And that should put us in a different place. We should live the story out this season instead of just checking it off and saying, Hey, Jesus, rock on, New Year's Eve, here we go. Now, let's... Let's wrap this up. Here's a couple takeaway. Here's a few tips that would make uh, sure living in an attitude of joy is, is something that's uh, a high priority for us this season. Uh, number one, admit to, where, uh, to what threatens your joy. I'd like us, and I'm going to do it myself, and I already, has it, I already have his name. Um, what threatens your joy? What pushes against your faith? What pushes you away from standing firm on the Redeemer of Jesus Christ and maybe pushes you in a, in a situation where security brings you happiness or your job or your family? And I'm not saying any of those are bad. I'm just saying we need to admit it to somebody. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Uh, maybe we need to have an honest conversation and say, hey, listen, this person's attitude is really wrecking me. I need to find a way around that. Can you pray with me? Can you partner with me in this journey? Maybe it's the reluctant setting up of the 47 Christmas trees in your house. And you look at your spouse and say, really? 47? I don't care. Maybe they care. Whatever is stealing your joy, whatever is threatening you from standing firm on Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. And the last one, and I know this is cliche and I am so sorry. But stay in the story. Jesus is the reason for the season. Let the, let the traditions around you be good. But do not lose Jesus and the decorations and the presents and the huevos rancheros. Whatever it is, whatever you do with your family, whatever you do with the people that you love and share, don't lose Jesus in this season. Allow him to be the cornerstone, the centerpiece. Open your Bible. Start reading Luke. Be in the season. I want to encourage you guys. When financial stress, when family stress, when all these different things come piling down and we're told, oh, it's the most joyous time of the year, it can be when we stand firm into Jesus Christ. That's my encouragement for you guys. As we walk into this Advent season, as we celebrate Jesus Christ and the, just the majesty of his birth, my encouragement for you is to find joy, not in our circumstances, but in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we can gather together on a Sunday morning or any morning in any place and to worship your son, to say thank you as we react to his goodness, his greatness, and his grace that we find on the cross. As we walk into this Christmas season, allow us to be full of joy. Allow us not just to strive to be happy ourselves, but to truly cooperate with you so this spiritual gift can be welling up inside of us, that it can become so large in our life such with abundant joy that other people are magnetically attracted to the happiness we find in Jesus Christ, not our situations, not our families, not our struggles. God, we give you glory and honor, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.